Welcome to the Speakeasy Crime Cafe podcast, where we speak to some of the most amazing people that you'll ever meet. The people that I bring to you have lived through or experienced something most of us never will. I'm your host, Michael Merson. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. your second child mm-hmm. how long did you what kind of abuse did he put on to the children my oldest one was my defender once he would see me knocked out he would go cover his body over my body so I couldn't get beat no more but Miguel would just continue even on him mm-hmm. how bad were the children hurt other than being nailed to a board Oh, they've had broken bones, they've had stitches, they've had, you know, they've had, you know, a lots of different kind of things on them. And it was all, a lot of it was down in Mexico and mm-hmm. here in the United States, if they had some of that, it would have been uh, required to be reported. Well, they had some in the United States, but he, you know, I would just say, oh, they're typical kids, they play, they roughhouse they fell down you know you had a way to cover it up to prevent what could happen because if you said anything it would be worse for the children or you later yes up until the time that that the fateful day was there another time that you thought he was going to kill you oh yeah when he had me in mexico for that long period of time Another time when he had me locked up in the house that we had in Las Lunas. He had me in that house and, you know, no food, pregnant. You just have that feeling, how long am I going to be locked up in here? Being pregnant, no food, you know, how long can you go? So you learn how to ration, like we were not allowed to eat at the table. So you learn how to ration to when I'm cooking him food and serving him his plate, I would hide food as I was cooking it just to feed the kids. So you learn different little ways to survive. You, you know? feed your children. Mm-hmm. And then your safe way to sleep was bundle up in a ball. I put my kids under me and I would cover him with my body just in case he blew up that night. So I was the first hit before them. Because, you know, in that kind of culture, you had asked permission if you could sleep in a bed. And if it wasn't given, then you slept on the floor. You know, a lot of things weren't allowed. Did the children ever ask you, why does he do this? To them, they didn't really understand it. Now they understand it more. They question me a lot of times. Why did you get involved in a second one like this? And I said, it's because it matched. And by the time I got the common sense to say, I don't want this, he used that he had the kids. Yeah. So he had that control. And once he seen that I was going to leave, he pretty much got me bedridden on so much medication. It's a coma-inducing medication. And they even brought me a hospital bed. They brought me an electric wheelchair. And when I would ask the doctors, what's going on? Because I have a specialist in Denver. She said, you finally had a seizure so bad that you probably caused more damage 
because she said the center of your brain that you do have for your balance, your coordination, is smaller than a needle. So she said not very much to damage it. So I kept on thinking, okay, I'm finally at this point. Not realizing for almost a year there that I lost that he was doing it to me. Well. Until my son found me in my own, where my stomach had ruptured. And then when I try to press charges on him, they know how to cover up everything. So he got rid of everything in that house to show. He said that I had PTSD, I was suicidal and everything, that I'm the one that OD'd myself on the medications. How'd you meet this guy over here? A friend that he went to high school with. She used to come by to the house and laugh at me because I had to sneak out the window to get out. So she was you know, pretty good friend. And one day I met him and I don't know, there was just a connection there and she's seen it. And so, you know, we would talk, but my thing is, is my idea was he's too nice. He's not going to want a catastrophe like me. <laughs> Cause I said, forget it. I'm going to drive him. <laughs> but his nickname for me is dork because um, I was doing something wrong, but I laugh about it instead of panicking. Yeah. You know, I lose the food. Oops, it's inside the washing machine. Oops, I lost the dishes. They're hanging on the clothesline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he's gotten to the point to see it as fun. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that happens in the house is my memory. He probably just goes behind you sometimes and just <laughs> straightens things up and doesn't say anything to you <laughs> yeah. about it. Uh-huh. I lost my cell phone. I buried it in the cat's litter box, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, that's just the way my brain works. I have no, no short-term memory. It's not, I'm not yeah. there. One of these days when you come see the house, you could see everything written on. Forget saying, don't write on the walls. Well, I am going to come to the house because <laughs> Butch has told me that uh, the one thing that you still remember how to do is make terrific food. Oh, that's how I grew up, old-fashioned, making everything homemade. Everybody loves my food. I was just feeding everybody enchiladas last night. Oh, really? That's mm -hmm. why I grew up was cooking. I mean, that was everything was homemade i mean all these pre-packaged stuff and me trying to remember what to do with the pre-packaged thing when i took care of my granddaughter i mean that's all her mom would feed her and i didn't even know what to do with a pre-packaged microwave meal you just made it from scratch uh-huh and i bet your granddaughter loves to come over to your place oh yeah she, well right now with my son and stuff like that his ex-wife's kind of iffy about the situation which in a way i can't blame her yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I know you because you lived it. Mm -hmm. You know, my older son's wife, I helped her leave out of state because I had custody of the older son, her older son. And I gave her permission to leave out of state to get as far away as she could. From your own son? Because mm -hmm. you saw, is it because you saw his father in him? Oh, yeah. When he drinks right now, he's having some problems and he's staying with us. I told him the first second I even smell liquor on you, you're out of this house because he is, you know, he loses it and you can see that in him. And he looks identical to his father. Oh, really? The only thing he has is my eyes. Everything else, he's as dark as can be, big as his father. So he looks like a duplicate of him. So when he gets that alcohol and he just gets that little bit, scares the living, you know what, out of me. Oh, I imagine. Uh-huh. I would imagine just seeing him brings back. Mm -hmm. Some memories with your yeah. PTSD as well. Oh, yeah. So I tell him, you can be in this house. I'm not going to put you on the streets to sleep. You know, he's 28 years old, but still. I said, give you a few days to figure out what you're going to do. 
But I said, you put liquor in yourself. Mm-mm. <laughs> wow. You know, it's like, no way. But he does good, and then he goes back to it. He, he just can't stop it for some reason. Kind of like his father's what it sounds like of mm-hmm. what you've told us today. Yeah. He goes good for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then that Dr. Checo, Mr. Hyde yep. turns and he's a different person. Uh-huh. And it's just scary to see a duplicate, you know, them doing the repeat same thing. Then it makes me wonder, should have I tried to find a way sooner to get out of there? Should have I thought of something, you know, different to make it have ended sooner to change it? You know, then I think about the second relationship I got on that was even worse to him. Should have I done something so they didn't have to go through it a second time? And you know, a lot of people are going to hear this. There's going to be those uh, people out there that are going to question, why did you stay? And I just want to reiterate some of the things that you said. Uh, your parents looked at it as this, you're married to this man, you need to work it out. Mm-hmm. His parents supported him and he grew up in the same type of house that he created Mm -hmm. you did call the police on different occasions Mm -hmm. Uh, you try to protect your children and i think because of what happened to you a lot of the laws have changed up through the early 90s and uh to what they are now Mm -hmm. but you did try to reach out and when you sit here and you just said what you did that you question, did you try to get away sooner? Should you have gotten your children out of there? My question back to you is, where would you have gone? Exactly, because you're going to get found no matter where you went. There was nowhere you can hide because if he wasn't going to find you, one of the family members were going to find you. Did you ever think through a plan? Oh, I went through a lot of plans. and they What all- was your number one plan? What were you going to do? I was going to try to get away as far as I can. That's how come I was going to continue my nursing. I had just gotten help to go to a college, and I only had to pass one semester there, and they were going to send me to another state, and I was going to change my name. I was going to go through everything I had to. Did you lay in bed thinking about this at night? Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can think of was, you know, there's nowhere to run. No matter where you run, what you do, they find you. I mean, he found me in a shelter. I was not even under my name. My name in the shelter was completely different. And he found me. Took him three days, but he found me in that shelter. Yeah, and they can, you know, there's no way to hide. You know, people think, oh, when you're in a domestic violence relationship, just pack up your suitcase. Yeah, just leave. And say bye. Uh-uh, you ain't going to say bye and leave out that door alive. There's, There's no way. They think it's that easy, and it is not that easy. And then once they have kids or the kids are there, they use the kids to control. Because what parent's not going to fight for their kids? The CDC reports that children growing up with toxic stress may have difficulty forming healthy and stable relationships. They may also have unstable work histories as adults and struggle with finances, jobs, and depression throughout life. These effects can also be passed on to their own children. After being tortured for 23 years, it's like you'll never get that normal back. 
Nope. You can just go, erase it, turn it off. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I got my freedom out of it, so. Yeah. And you found a good guy. I mean, he's sitting over, he's quiet the entire time. He doesn't, doesn't speak much and, you know, mm-hmm. but. He's an angel. I say he was a blessing because at the point I was with my second one and everything I was going through and my boys were at the age that they were and I found out what I had done to them was more my fault because the second marriage had no control over him. I was ready to say no more. Right. And then I met him, and he gave me a whole reason to say, nope, you're not going nowhere yet. <laughs> yeah, so I've been on a lot of calls, mm-hmm. and I've seen a, a lot of been on a lot of domestics, and I've seen a lot of women that have gone through uh, domestic violence situations, and mm-hmm. I mean violent. Mm-hmm. Um, that one and yours are the most violent that I've had heard, you know, yeah, spoke to some, the people about. Sometimes they could be so violent, I mean... Sometimes my face was beaten so bad that I couldn't even open my eyes. I mean, there was so much beatings. I had just got my jaw repaired, this one. The left side? Yeah, because he had, I got a flat tire when we were living in Palomas. Put my vehicle on the side of the road, decided I got to change my tire. You know, what else am I going to do? Roll my vehicle home? Well, of course, somebody passed by, male asked if I needed help. I said, no, get away as fast as you can. He looked at me for a minute, didn't understand. Why am I telling you to get away? Well, of course, he knew what I did. So he got the jack and shattered the side of my jaw. So my teeth here on top are fake because I had to go through surgeries in Mexico to get those porcelain crowns re-put on the side of my teeth. When did that happen? Before the shooting. Right before the shooting? Mm -hmm. And I had my jaw wired and everything else. And I had just finally had my last surgery, November. The shooting happened in January. And I finally had all my fake teeth in place, the ones on top here. And of course, with the shooting, those are the only teeth that really stayed strong. (laughs) Yeah. Because the bullet took out a bunch of teeth here. And And a good thing was he got the same side of the jaw with the shooting that never stayed right from the break it had. And then, of course, that would be my blind eye, the one that he had lacerated with the top of the, those little round things that go on a wood stove. They're like little metal things right. that you pick up. He slipped my face here. So when he cut it, he cut the top of this eye so it didn't have very good vision. So at least I lost the eye that was already partially damaged. My one good eye stayed. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. And that was all before the... Uh... Shooting. And no one, no family stepped up. No family knew on that one because they knew they weren't allowed to come to the house and stuff. And I wasn't really allowed to go see them. I just, I just <laughs> if I knew, if I had a sister, I had, I have two daughters, anything like that. I found out some guy put their hands on them. They better be calling a lot of people because <laughs> I'm going to find him. Mm-hmm. And... It's and I can't believe nobody in his family or your family or somebody said, "Hey, stop." The women just learned how to cover it up, and since I was a nurse, I would go to the hospital where I was working and say, "Hey, I need stitches on this." I and they kind of knew the situation, but they couldn't do a reporting. They knew it was up to me. So going to work, hey, I need to have this fixed. I have to have this fixed because that's come. Like I said, my arms are 
completely covered from one end to the other scars. With knives? Knives, glass, fire. I have one here from a wood stove. I went and started a wood stove without permission. So he started my arm on fire. Because I didn't ask permission to start it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't ask the correct permission and you get in trouble. That's just the way their thinking is. We, like I said too, we, even as a police officer, there was things going on that we had no information on that we didn't know. And what's sad is about your situation is they knew. They'd been out there. I mean, in the police in this news article, it says, let me go through it again. Over the last year, we've responded to domestic violence calls. Um, it seems like these occurrences are becoming more and more violent in nature, said Under Sheriff William Martinez. So it's not like they didn't know this was going on. Mm-hmm. They knew. They yeah. knew it was happening because, like, the hospital even reported when I was pregnant with Christopher, when I had to take my older son, he pushed him down and shoved a rebar through his legs. The hospital had to get a report. How did this kid get a rebar through his legs? I told him. They went out there. They were going to arrest him. They came back, and he said, oh, no, he said that your son was trying to balance and hold you up because of your open stomach, and he tripped and he fell. So right away the story gets covered and changed, you know? The same thing when I had to get my jaw wired. They go, how did it happen? I explained to them what happened. They went and they questioned and stuff like that, and he said, no, she was out there with the jack. She didn't lock the handle. It flew up and hit her in the face. You know, so he had a way to cover up each of the... That's usually the way they, you know, abusers come up with stories of why Mm -hmm. you're injured. That was my second one. I would go to the hospital for black eyes, cut open, you know, and he would tell him, oh, no, she has real bad PTSD. She's blind. She has seizures. She fell. And he would purposely hurt himself and say, look at me, what she did to me when I was trying to protect her from hurting herself. So they would write it off as my condition. (laughs) And it was, you know, constant. The only time I was hoping the second one was going to get caught is when they sent people out to our address to verify the food and stuff because he would hide my pills and stuff in the food. Of course, he cleaned out that whole house so there was nothing to find. Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. So they had to reconstruct my whole stomach and all that and after I said, I don't care what I got to do. And that's when he threatened. I got my new house where I'm at now. And I wasn't going to allow him into that house whatsoever. Well, he had some lady there. She looked like a professional child service lady. Paperwork on me, paperwork on everything. She said, if you don't let him back in this house, he has custody of the younger one. So she said, either he comes back in the house and help raise him, or you lose your son to him. I thought she was telling me the truth. So I led him back into the house and took torture for another two years, thinking he was partial parent to him, not wanting my kid to go live with him. It was a lie. But he just knew how to do the paperwork. He knew how to do everything. He had cameras throughout the whole house. Controlling. Mm-hmm. Like one time he came over, and that's even before we were dating. He just wanted to come try my food. <laughs> 
And he came over and he called me up and asked me, who's that big, tall, bald man? You know, he knew exactly who was in the house because he had cameras everywhere. And the shower, everywhere, everything I did, he had on video. And, you know, I tell the cops and they're like, oh no, he was doing it, for, he was worried because you would lock yourself in a room and he was worried you were gonna hurt yourself, so he was keeping an eye on you. So they found excuses why he was doing everything. And he's such a sleaze that he knows how to work. Amazing. Sleaze balls that are out there. <laughs> the nice way of putting it. Oh, goodness. Between 1995 and 1997, the CDC Kaiser Permanente Adverse Childhood Experience, or ACE study, was conducted. The study revealed that ACEs are common across all populations. Almost two-thirds of study participants reported at least one ACE, and more than one in five reported three or more occurrences of ACEs. Some populations are more vulnerable to experience ACEs because of their social and economic conditions in which they live, learn, work, and play in. The CDC reports that there are risk factors for IPV perpetration. Individual risk factors include low income, low academic achievement, low verbal IQ, young age, aggressive or delinquent behavior as a youth, heavy alcohol and drug use, anti-personality traits and conduct problems, poor behavioral control impulses, traits associated with borderline personality disorder, history of being physically abusive, having few friends, and being isolated from other people, unemployment, emotional dependent and insecurity, belief in strict gender roles, desire for power and control in relationships, hostility towards women, attitudes accepting or justifying IPV, being a victim of physical or psychological abuse, unplanned pregnancy. Relationship factors include marital conflict, jealousy, possessiveness, and negative emotion with an intimate relationship, marital instability, dominance and control of the relationship by one partner over the other, economic stress, unhealthy family relationships and interactions, association with antisocial and aggressive peers, parents with less than a high school education, having few friends and being isolated from other people, witnessing IPV between parents as a child, history of experiencing poor parenting as a child, history of experiencing physical discipline as a child, Community factors include poverty, low social capital, lack of the institutions, relationships, and norms that shape a community's social interactions, poor neighborhood support and cohesion, weak community sanctions against IPV, high density of places that sell alcohol. These are just to name a few, and I can't help but notice how many of them went right along with Katrina's story I think that we can all agree that Katrina's story is remarkable. During her interview, I presented information from the CDC about intimate partner violence. When I was conducting my research for this podcast, I could not believe how much Katrina's story mimicked almost everything that the CDC reports about IPV. It was as if the CDC used Katrina's story for their research. I mean everything from the individual perpetrator risk factors the relationship factors, the community factors, and the social factors all were in place. Guys, 
If you or someone you know may be a victim of IPV, please get help immediately. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Katrina, and I hope that you found useful information in this podcast to maybe help yourself or someone else you know. Again, thank you. By the way, please check out my website, mysteriesbymichael.com, for information on upcoming episodes.